What's up, y'all, and welcome to Found Bites, a game review series. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you're probably asking yourself, why am I listening to this podcast? If you are, you're probably one of a couple types of people. Number one, you probably know me, and you're probably listening to this because I told you to. Or you are friends with someone that knows me, and you're probably listening to this because they told you to. Both are awesome. Thank you for listening. But if you're not either of those, then you're probably listening because you're a gamer. And you've got a couple situations going on. One of which might be that your life and your family, they're taking up a lot of your time. You don't have as much time to game anymore. You know, maybe you got married, you bought a house, you're about to have your second kid. You don't have time to put 200 hours just to figure out how The Witcher 3 ends. Great game, by the way. But I have no idea how it ends. Now, you might also be a gamer with a little different situation. You might be somebody who goes through Steam sales or PSN sales, and you hate just sifting through all of the hot garbage that they put on there. You don't know if what you're going for or what you're looking at is an awesome game, like a Celeste, or if it's like a My Name is Mayo or a Life of Black Tiger, whatever garbage. So that's a nice transition into this podcast, and who it's for. First and foremost, this podcast is for everybody. But specifically, I'm going to say that this podcast is for gamers who want their time and money to be respected. And so let's talk a little bit about what our intention is with this podcast. Uh, So first and foremost, we're going to review games. Fortunately for you, as we're trying to respect your time, uh, we're going to be doing this in short format, maybe 10 to 15 minute episodes. uh, And each episode is going to be dedicated to a specific game. Now, the types of games we're looking at are going to be smaller, shorter experiences that you've probably seen on sale a ton of times. Many different genres. Doesn't mean we don't love our big games, our From Software games, our Witcher, our Fallouts and whatnot. Um, But there are definitely some hidden gems out there that don't take up 300 hours. Or if you're in between two big games and you want something short and sweet, a nice experience that's a quality game, this could be right up your alley. So basically, one of our main intentions is to kind of set up a curation of some of these store sales. Because as I'm sure you know, if you're on Steam, if you're on PSN, or even uh, on Xbox, although you probably don't buy games there, you're probably tired of looking through things and basically rolling the dice or crossing your fingers. So our real goal is to save you time and money, and hopefully we can do the sifting for you. Lastly, one of our intentions is to be transparent. So I'm a gamer, and maybe we'll get into about me in a second, but I'm going to give you the gist of what I've played of each game. And if you want, you can totally check me out on PSN Profiles. I'm going to play most of my stuff on on PlayStation. Uh, My name is Zeno Link, X-E-N-O-L-I-N-K. So you can kind of follow me with trophies to see if... You know, I'm playing the game that I'm talking about if I'm as far as I said I am. If I'm given a free copy of a game to review it, I will certainly let you know. I don't really anticipate that happening, but you never know. And ultimately, uh, these are my opinions. So I'm not going to tell you that this game is objectively good or objectively bad. I'm going to be as thorough as I can, and you can kind of take it and run with it. So let's wrap up our intro with the tagline of the show. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. But enough about the show. Let's talk about today's game.
Time Spinner is the game for today's episode. So each episode, what we're going to do is give you a little rundown of the game and the specs and sort of the basic information about the game. So Time Spinner was released in September of 2018 on PC, iOS, PS4, and Vita. And then it had a 2019 release on Switch and Xbox One. Uh, it was developed by Lunar Ray Games. This is their only game as far as I can see. It was kickstarted in 2014, but I think they needed a little more help. So Chucklefish actually published this game. Chucklefish has done a couple small things, uh, published the first Risk of Rain and some localizations and ports of Stardew Valley. So they published a lot of small stuff. Time Spitter had a limited run, uh, physical release, on PS4 and Switch. I wanted to get my hands on a PS4 copy, but they sold out, and eBay now has them listed triple the price. So... Time Spinner is cross-buy on PS4 and Vita. If you're not familiar with that, uh, cross-buy is an awesome feature that was developed in the world of PlayStation for its handhelds, whereas if the game is available on PS4 or PS3, depending on when you bought it or when it was released, if the game is available on PS4 and Vita and it is cross-buy enabled, if you buy it on one platform, you get it on both. So very cool, especially now at this point because the Vita store is kind of dying and there's no more sales. So if you can get this on sale on PS4, then you can also get it on sale on Vita. Also relevant to the PlayStation ecosystem, it does have a platinum trophy on PS4 and on Vita. It is not a shared trophy list and it will require uh, multiple playthroughs to get the platinum. Time Spinner launched at a retail price of $19.99. Runtime of the game, if you're running through it just for the story, anywhere between six and eight hours. If you're going for everything, like a full completionist, kind of like I am, uh, it'll be a little more than 12 hours, I, I believe. So some specifics about me. I bought this on sale on PSN for $9.99, so 50% off. Uh, and I put definitely more than 12, 13 hours because I did get the Platinum on PS4, which requires multiple playthroughs, and I also started it on Vita for uh, this podcast. I found the game on PSN on my own. No one really recommended it. I hadn't really heard of this game, and I saw it, and it looked cool, so I just kind of dove in. So those are all the specifics about Time Spinner, so let's talk about gameplay. All right, so let's talk about gameplay here. So Time Spinner is a Metroidvania game. If you don't know what that means, Metroidvania is basically an action-adventure game where you are constantly backtracking uh, to go back to areas that you couldn't access before. So you may see something that you can't quite get to, and then later you'll get an item, uh, and you'll have to kind of remember to go back to certain places. It's also a 2D platformer, so there's a lot of uh, running and jumping. There is ledge grabbing, so if you're near the edge of a platform, you can't quite make it to the top, you can grab the edge. And there's a lot of Mega Man, Mega Man X DNA in here, whether it's from enemy design, uh, enemy hitboxes, enemy behavior, um, and just general traversal. In terms of difficulty, there are three difficulty options. There's dream mode, normal mode, and nightmare mode. Uh, so easy, normal, and hard. Nightmare mode is inaccessible unless you beat the game first. In terms of relative difficulty, I didn't find this game that hard. If you are someone who is a Metroidvania veteran, 
I really don't think you'll have a problem with this. I only died a couple times, but if you really struggle with games like this, you're more than welcome to put it on dream mode. I think the only real gameplay difference is that when you die, you just don't go anywhere. So it's almost like you didn't even die. The main thing about this game is the combat. How the combat works is essentially it's melee combat, but there is some ranged options as well. So instead of getting different weapons, what you're going to acquire in this game are different orbs. And the main character, Lunez, can equip up to two orbs at once. Uh, but what's interesting is that you can equip the same orb twice. So when you get a new orb, uh, you're only getting one of them, but you can equip it in two slots. And how the combat works is you'll press the attack button, and if you have two of the same orb equipped, she can attack twice in succession, uh, kind of rapid fire. But what makes this interesting is as you traverse through the world, you're going to acquire different orb types. So for example, in the beginning of the game, the first three orbs that you get, you get them pretty early on. Uh, you have the blue orb, the fire orb, and the blade orb. So these are uh, a little different visually and also functionally. So the blue orb is just a basic melee attack. And you'll see actually as uh, Lunez is standing there, the orbs are floating around her. And when you press attack, they'll kind of go forward uh, in a melee combat. So the blue orb is the simple melee orb combat. And then fire, the fire orb will sort of have a little bit of a different animation. And it can uh, light enemies on fire. And then the blade is uh, very different because instead of just throwing the orb out, the orb actually turns into a blade and it kind of chops down. There's a lot of customization because later in the game you're going to get some very different orb types. And so you can really mess around with different combinations because you can equip two at once. So you can have a flame and then a sword go back to back. I found personally it's better to have two of the same equipped uh, for the flow of the combat. As you get into this game a little further, uh, you'll find that you can have multiple presets equipped so you can switch between them so you can have one preset that's melee based and then another that's sort of ranged based and you can switch between them pretty quickly in combat in terms of finding other orbs it's a bit late game heavy with some of the better orbs um, but you do find some interesting ones after the first three other elements of the combat so Lunes has the ability to equip two orbs and then you'll have a third slot which is essentially for a necklace, which will be a charge shot ability. And then the last is a ring, which will be a sort of a passive ability. And it's very cool how it works because the different charge shots and passive abilities are based on the different orb types that you have. So when you acquire a new orb, you acquire the ability to craft a different charge shot and a different passive ability that you can use in your repertoire. So for example, the blue orb is the simple orb and its charge shot is just like a, basically like a Mega Man charge shot. Uh, it shoots across the screen. But then the blade orb is different. The charge shot for the blade uh, is basically a giant blade that chops down and it can hit multiple enemies on different levels. So those are just some very simple examples of early game orbs, but this can get very complex. The same goes with the passive ability. For example, like the blade, when you craft its passive ability, what happens is your orbs that are orbiting around you as you're standing there actually have blades on them and they'll be turning and they'll be cutting things so as you're standing there not attacking or if something's hitting you these things are going around and they're actually doing damage so these are just three examples of early game orbs there's a lot of customization and i think this is really where the game shines in terms of what you can do how you can vary your presets other items 
and equipment that you might find. There is armor in this game. I didn't find it too consequential, but every now and then you'll get a better headgear or a better armor that you can equip and it'll raise your stats maybe one or two points. And there's also health items if you run low on HP on a boss or something like that. That You have potions, you have food items and things like that. One other mechanic that you'll get fairly early is the ability to stop time. So if you are looking at the HUD, you'll see an HP bar, you'll see an FP bar, that's for when you're using your charge shot, and then you'll see an hourglass. And the hourglass, if it's filled up at the top, means that you can stop time at any time when you're on any screen, even if you're in a boss arena. Uh, but as soon as that runs out, you'll run out of that ability. So it's good in a quick moment if you need to get past an enemy or if something's coming at you, multiple enemies are coming at you, you can quickly pause time and kind of jump out of there. This is an element that is really cool in this game. There were times that I forgot about it. I thought the game was easy, and then when the game got hard, I got a little frustrated, but then I remembered I could use this time-stopping ability. So I think it actually adds balance to the game pretty well. Other than that, there are these familiars that you'll get, which are like floating helpers or NPCs that are following you. They're also doing kind of passive damage, and you'll find them more as you progress the story, and they are different in their abilities. So some will have a melee attack, some will have a ranged attack, some will, might even help you. Uh, with buffs or with healing and all these things can level up your orbs can level up familiars can level up your character can level up it's not something that you're going into a menu and doing anything about but just gradually the stats for each of them will level up and when you level up an orb you're also leveling up the charge shot of that orb and the passive ability of that orb so traversal in the game so there is fast travel uh, and there are save points uh, the save points are very simple. You just walk across them, and they actually fully restore you. So if you hit a save point, and then in the next screen you get hit by an enemy, and you're on your way to a boss or something like that, you can always just run back to the save point and restore yourself. Some of the quests for the story and for side quests are a bit fetchy, so you're kind of running and collecting items. Uh, this can get a little annoying early on, but I do think it's still a good mechanic for getting to know certain areas, certain enemies, um, and even leveling up your, your orbs in the process. In terms of the main game objective, uh, sometimes it's not always clear where to go. And if you put the game down for a while and come back, you may need to look up a guide to figure out where you need to go. Luckily, I think exploring this game is pretty cool. Like I said, it is a Metroidvania, so realizing that you can now access certain areas is interesting. But often when you're in an a certain point in the story there is generally only one place to go even if you're just exploring and realize you can go to certain areas um, it may be just to get a certain upgrade or a certain item and then you're kind of back to square one with uh, the main story uh, enemies respawn as you go from screen to screen there are some really cool boss designs and cool boss mechanics i think the bosses in this game are fairly unique and the map is pretty standard for a metroidvania when you hit the map screen, you'll just see kind of these room boxes, um, and you'll see where you haven't gone in terms of if a room has an extra exit or an extra opening on one of the sides. You'll look at the map, and you'll say, hey, I haven't gone there. There's an, a door there. All right, that's about it for gameplay. Let's talk about the vibe of the game. All right, let's talk about the vibe of this game. So I would like to start by talking about the sound. So this is a major, major thing for me. 
The sound in this game is fantastic, specifically the soundtrack. And I've been trying to throw in some tracks in this review. The music is so versatile. So this is a 16-bit game, but the soundtrack for this is essentially fully composed and orchestrated. The composer is a guy named Jeff Ball. And just the inclusion of so many different instruments, you've got piano, organ, you've got violins and other strings and woodwinds, you've got guitar, electric guitar, what might be a harp, uh, all kinds of things. And not only that, not only is the music absolutely beautifully orchestrated, but it captures the essence of what's going on in each of these areas, in each of these contexts. Uh, at a certain point, you'll be collecting memories, and the music alternates between discovery and sorrow, again, with the context of the game. We're not going to reveal too much, but just an amazing soundtrack, and uh, I actually went out and got the vinyl soundtrack for this. This is the first vinyl soundtrack I've ever gotten for a video game, um, and Yeti Records, I think they're still selling it I think for maybe 25 bucks this was a no-brainer uh, and it just sounds so good on vinyl so uh, really the incorporation of the game and the feeling uh, just very well done all around by uh, composer Jeff Ball in terms of other sounds the sound effects I think are very cool uh, so you have the main character Lunez and when she is doing different combat whether it's with the melee attacks with the different orbs or the charge attacks she's kind of releasing like uh, almost like a tennis yell or like um, with a typical fighting game you can hear her just just very simply, just like, yeah, yeah, and all that. I also think with the orb variation, the different types of orbs and the sound effects that they have are, are pretty cool and distinctive. Whether it's just a simple blue orb with a simple melee attack or the blade, you can actually hear the slice of the blade. Uh, and same thing with uh, all the charge attacks. Very cool. So that's really the only time that we're hearing Lunez's voice. Uh, so there is no spoken dialogue, which is interesting. And that's a great segue into... Uh, what we'll talk about next, which is the writing in this game. The writing in this game is really good. The character dialogue, it really captures each one of the characters' essence. Uh, there's some good, fun humor in there uh, that really gets you to understand the context, but also uh, the development of each of these characters. And you will have relationships developed between them and it's very interesting to see how they develop so quickly. And just the story itself unfolds very quickly in the beginning of the game, but I still think it's very succinct in the dialogue, and it's very easy to follow and understand what's going on. Also, some of the documents that you're going to read, so you're going to read some sort of historical documents, some letters, and like I mentioned before, some memories. And the memories are crafted like, like written dialogue, uh, almost as if you're reading a novel. They're just so well done um, and really convey sort of the direness of the situation, of the recalling of certain events and, and things like that. So writing is really well done all around. The writing team was actually outsourced, uh, a company called Silver String Media. They did the writing, uh, the story consulting, and the dialogue. Two people from that company, uh, Lucas Johnson and Clarice Syaron. hope I'm saying that right. Uh, they did the bulk of the writing, and they've worked on games in the past, such as Celeste and Crypt of the Necrodancer, so shout out to them. Moving on towards the, the story and sort of the thematics here, so there are some common tropes uh, with the story, whether it's Shakespearean or not. Obviously, it's time spinner, so there is some time travel uh, and some elements to that. The currency that you use and collect in the game is called entropy, which I find pretty cool, but also the idea of history and some common tropes of history. Again, I don't want to give too much away here, but there are common tropes in terms of the thematics of the story, but I think they're 
They're really well delivered and uh, how you discover them, again, with the different documents, uh, a little bit of mythology in there, but overall just how everything is incorporated, the sound, the writing, you really do feel for Lunaise and her situation and you feel this sense of urgency when it's there or the sense of loneliness when it's there. I think it's really captured from from all aspects. And then finally, let's look at the visuals. This is kind of a retro game, so it's either 8 or 16-bit animation. I guess it leans a bit more toward 16-bit. Uh, but you have Lunaise is kind of this sprite uh, and her animations are actually really cool. Just some simple things like as she's standing there uh, or in battle, like you will actually see the wind kind of blowing her hair across her face, locks of hair across her face. Also, at one point in the gameplay, you will get a double jump. And I think that animation is really cool because she actually like twists on the second jump. Uh, the other animations that are really cool uh, visually are the different orbs. Each of them uh, visually is very cool like you if you have the blade orb you do see this blade come out and kind of strike down and even some of the longer range ones are very very cool when there's dialogue you see sort of like the bust of a character uh, that is more artistically animated those are well crafted although at times I, I wonder if they all have the same nose but in terms of the environments this is a lot of the criticisms that I've seen colors are kind of drab and the background environments are a bit repetitive there's nothing really that interesting about them uh, or distinctive about them and the same can kind of go with the enemy design I feel like there was an opportunity to have different variations of enemies and, and things like that but there were a lot of same enemy designs but I will say the bosses are very unique. So that basically wraps up the vibe. And that also wraps up Time Spinner. So we'll get to our wrap-up and sort of a final verdict. Okay, so final thoughts on Time Spinner. I think the story is really good, really compelling. The characters are very well represented uh, with the writing. The story is well crafted with the writing and developed. Uh, the music really just really hits home for me. And the customization of the combat, I think, is very interesting and very fun. All of that incorporated into this ambiance, I really feel that uh, you do get sort of lost with this main character in this world. Again, uh, even though I feel like sometimes you've got fetch quests or sometimes you feel like you might not know where to go. Um, I do think that can add to that experience. Environments, a little repetitive. Enemy design, at times a bit samey. And also something I'm experiencing now, load times on Vita. Oh boy. Just starting up the game, I'm talking a minute, minute and a half. I'm sitting there watching this loading bar. Totally worth the money, in, in my opinion. I know I paid 10 bucks for it. I think I've even seen it on Steam now for 7 or 8. I highly suggest trying this game out, especially if you love Metroidvanias and anything story-based, character-based, with a kick-ass soundtrack. I highly recommend this game. And that's essentially uh, the verdict. If you made it this far, we want to thank you for getting through our first episode with us. Uh, we know we said that it was going to be between 10 and 15 minutes, uh, but this being our first episode, we've got a lot of intro stuff to do and working out the kinks. At this point, you should have an idea of the format that we're going for and what to expect from us going forward. We should have a bunch of episodes ready to go at this point, if not out already. But down the line, what we're looking for is possibly... A way to get listener feedback to us through an email address or sort. And then at some point, we may get listeners in on the suggestions for the games that we'll do for each episode. 
but I've got about 50 games or so ready to go that I think would be perfect. Not all good, not all bad, um, but some that could be worth your time. But for now, stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you. Mm-hmm.